The Nerdbook Review is happy to welcome author Patrick LeClerc. His book, Out of Nowhere, is a finalist in this year's Spiffbo competition. Patrick, how you doing today? Not too bad, thanks. Good. Hey, uh, the same thing I've been telling everybody. I apologize for the long delay. I think we were supposed to uh, first do this is like back in the middle of February. So uh, things finally calmed down, and I'm glad to finally get you on. No, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad things uh, settled down for you. Yeah. Uh, so, Patrick, can you tell us about yourself? Okay, yeah. Um, so I'm working as a paramedic full-time. I've been doing that for about 20 years. Um, before that, I worked, uh, I managed to graduate college in the middle of a recession. Uh, so I wound up doing a lot of, uh, temp jobs. I wound up at the water department for a while, which is every bit as riveting intellectually as it sounds. <laughs> so I did that before I was in EMS and, uh, right out of high school, like literally the day after I graduated high school, I was at a uh, Marine boot camp. So that's kind of been, so I've had, you know, some, some military experience, some, uh, just odd job experience in general before I went into EMS. Uh, I went to college. I actually went to college for history, not really, uh, writing, but while I was there, I did a lot of writing. Um, and I kind of always have been pecking away at it. So out of nowhere is my first book. Um, I, I got published in a few anthologies, a few short story things. I worked with a uh, online short story magazine, Quantum Muse, which was, they started back in 1999, back when the internet was in its fetal stages. And uh, I, I submitted a bunch of stuff to them. I did some editing for them. Um, but my first book to come out was out of nowhere, and that was back in 2012. So this has kind of been a learning experience. But I said, I've been pretty happy with it, and I'm that, that's kind of where I am right now. So, yeah, so your background definitely um, plays a role in your book, which we'll get to talk about more later. The, um, the Marine experience, did that uh, help you out with, your, uh, with, the, with the EMS stuff, or uh, what did you do when you were in the Marines? Uh, I was actually, I was infantry. I was an assault man. Um, now, I want to say up front, I was a Marine in 1986 when we weren't really fighting anybody. <laughs> So uh, I I don't bring it up a lot because you've got people who are, you know, 15, 20 years younger than me who joined the Marines for six years and spent five of them over in foreign countries, you know, dodging <clears throat> explosive devices and so forth. So it's a different generation. I went, I did my time. Um, I, got, I, got, I got a lot of experience. I had a lot of training. I did a lot of um, grunt stuff, but that was not, you know... That was pre-global war on terror. It was, you know, I was I was too late for Beirut. I was too early for the Gulf. So I kind of hit that sweet spot of not actually having to go get shot at, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, and one I, thing I mentioned too, real quick, is I can definitely hear that uh, Boston accent. So are you uh, born and raised uh, from in the Northeast then? Yep, yep. I've lived my whole life in the Northeast. I uh, grew up about 30 miles north of Boston. Okay. Are you uh, a big sports fan? I am. Now that we finally, yeah, and uh, <laughs> we've had a we've had a good run in the past. Uh, geez, like eighteen years, we've had a really good run. Yeah. So uh, eight was eighty six. Buckner. Eighty six was Buckner. The ball yeah. between the legs. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, 
Bill Buckner, uh, I grew up about three miles away from from where he uh, where he ended up settling with his ranch. My dad used to be a cowboy back in the day, and he used to run cows with Bill Buckner and uh, his brother. And so my personal experience with Bill has been a, a lot different than uh, than your experience probably has been. I grew up knowing him and liking him quite a bit. You know what? He was. I, I don't hold much against him. He had <laughs> he had he had a bad day. He had a bad day. It came at the worst possible time. Um, but that'll be, and it, it's unfortunate that that's what he's always going to be remembered for out here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it, it is so funny though, like you know, just the just the randomness of uh, of life that I that I knew him so well from growing up with him, and I actually his son uh, was the same age as me, and uh, we played uh, baseball against each other quite a bit. Well, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. What's it like being an EMS on a day to day basis? And I just have to ask more of these personal questions than I would with most people because. It just seems like it's something that I know I could never do. Well, it's, I I love it. Um, I was going to do it as a temporary thing because like I said, I graduated college. Um, I, my originally, my original plan was I was going to teach. I got my degree and then I graduated college in the middle verse. Uh, I I was out of money and I was going to take a year to work, then go back and get my teaching certification certification. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I wound up, since it was in the middle of a recession, I took a year off to be unemployed, kind of, is how it worked out. So I bounced from job to job, and when I got into EMS, I did it because it was a flexible schedule to let me go back to college. And it took me about two days to fall in love with it, and uh, I knew I was a lifer. I had found my tribe. I, I really enjoyed it. It's, But it's definitely not for everybody. It's one of those jobs that if you want to do it, it's the best job in the world. Uh, if you don't want to do it, you really should do something else. So a lot of people start it, last about a year, and then move on to something else. Um, and one of the big things about it is it's not – there really isn't a routine. Um, we work 24-hour shifts, which we probably shouldn't, but that's that comes from the old uh, firehouse schedule where they work a couple 24-hour shifts in, on a rotation and then have a bunch of days off. And if you're on a – if you're – in the fire station for 24 hours, that's not that bad. Because if you get a call, you go do the call. If you don't get a call, you know, you've got a certain amount of time. You can you can sleep on the night. You can you can make your meals. It's kind of like you move in for a day. Um, so we kind of fall into the same heading, but we go out a lot more. Because, and, and the, the places I work, I've always worked for, We've done a mix of 911 emergency stuff and interfacility hospital stuff. So if you go to a local hospital and they check out and they're like, yeah, you know what? We don't have, we can't treat this. He's got to go to the big hospital in Boston. They'll call us and we'll do the, the transfers down to Boston. So we tend to be busier overall. And uh, 24-hour shifts can get a little brutal. But the nice thing about that is we get, you get a lot of days off which was great after my son was born because I got to spend a lot of time with him, do a lot of father-son things. So that was great. But overall, on average day in EMS, we'll do, it can be anything. Probably about two-thirds of the calls are really minor. People will call for, you know, routine, been sick for three days, I have a headache. Um, this is a, a chronic problem that's just flaring up. And it's just... It's a lot of just um, almost customer service. I call it. We go out, we talk to people, we we you know we we help them out. 
they need a ride to the hospital, we go to the hospital. But any one of those calls could suddenly be something really, you know, traumatic and life-threatening and that. So it's, it's, it's a mix. You never know what you're going to have the next minute. I kind of like that. I like to do a mix of it because it's every once in a while you get one that gets your adrenaline pumping. And then you get some that are kind of, you know, you're talking to some little lady in her house and asking her how she is. And it, it, it's kind of a nice calm down. And then we have, you know, we may have dead stretches where we'll cook big meals for the whole crew uh, at the at the station, and that's nice. And we, I did, when I didn't have kids, I used to do all my holidays there because I'd always swap for somebody that had kids at home so they, they could be home with their kids at Christmas if they weren't scheduled for Christmas, if they were scheduled for Christmas and I wasn't. So the ambulance family, it kind of became my second family, which is... It's it's nice, and you get closer to these guys than really any other job. Maybe except for the military. I think the military has a, that similar kind of feel. If you're in a, at least in the infantry, you're in a platoon, you do everything together, you share a lot of unpleasant experiences together, and you do a lot of goofing around. So it's that kind of um, camaraderie, but there's no chance of, well, there's less chance of, being shot <laughs> exactly i'm not gonna see none because it happens not it, it's never happened to me um it it does occasionally happen in emergency services um i've never been in a situation that i couldn't talk my way out of i worked in some some sketchy cities but again it's one of those things where your best your best defense is you know knowing how to talk to people <laughs> yeah so what are your uh, aside from writing uh what are your hobbies these days with uh with that all that time off you have so uh one of the things i'm really into i always fenced i started fencing in college um and i really enjoyed it and lately i've gotten into historically european martial arts which is it's more realistic uh sword fighting the weapons are closer to the real weights we use a little bit more protection there's less um the rules are a little less restrictive. It's a blast. Um, you get you get bruised a little bit more, um, but it's a lot more fun. So I'm doing a lot of that. Uh, I've always been, like I said, I've always been into history. I did um, fine art for a, quite a while. I used to do a lot of painting, and I kind of put that on hold when my son was born. But I'm kind of starting to get back into that. So a lot of little things. I do archery. If if there's a skill that I can't make money at, I probably I probably <laughs> get pretty good at it. Well, yeah, it does sound like you keep yourself quite busy though with a lot of things that uh, that <clears throat> that keep you in shape and and are a lot of fun at the same time, and not just uh, sitting there jogging or something like that. So yeah, I feel that you know it's you, you trick yourself into fitness if you're enjoying yourself. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh that that you uh were into history and you did a lot of writing uh way back in college even then did you have a long lull in between then before you started writing again or um have you always written little things here and there i've always kind of written little things here and there um i did i had i actually wrote a novel that never saw the light of day it took me years to do because i would do it in you know bits and pieces when i had free time and and it was it was everybody's first novel it was a lot of mistakes it was a, a sword and sorcery kind of thing. It was, you know, and everybody who's ever played Dungeons and Dragons has written this novel. <laughs> but it was a good experience, and it took me a while, and I learned stuff, and I learned editing, and I learned, I learned the process more than anything else. 
and I wrote a bunch of short things. Um, again, like I said, I was involved with a couple of guys I knew uh, from college who did who were also writing short stories and writing short fiction. Um, got involved with, like I said, the website Quantum Muse, which is still kind of exists. Um, it's changed from what it was when I was working with it. It was people would submit short stories, would all read all the stories, would would uh, pick a couple every month, put them up, and it did it did really well. It did it was relatively popular, but it's a lot of work and it's a lot of unpaid work to do all that editing. So people kind of dropped off. Now it functions more like a writing group people can submit stuff to a pool and you and you critique stories and submit critiques and if you so many critiques gives you so many credits to submit and once stuff gets so many good reviews it gets put into the mix to get published so it's kind of an interesting thing so i've always kind of been writing around the edges um, and out of nowhere, it took me a while to write because I was writing it. I started writing it shortly after my son was born. My son was born, and that, uh, as, as you know, that changes your whole schedule. That changes what, what free time is. And I had, I, so that was me getting back into writing after about a year of, of writing nothing. Um, because when I, was, when I was either working or when I was home, we had a newborn. And I was, I was working a lot then because, again, my time has been impeccable. We had my son in 2007. We bought a new house in 2007. And then the economy crashed and burned in 2008. Uh, so I paid as much as possible for my house so that the value could drop a year later. <laughs> and then uh, my wife is, is a web designer. And she was doing a lot of work freelance. She was doing really well. When the economy crashed, all her clients dried up. So we went from living in a cheap place with just two of us in a good economy when she was making money to live in an expensive place with her not making much money with a kid. So I was working a ton of overtime. When I was home, I had my son. And so I didn't write for a while. And in the, um, so I don't know where I was getting back into it. And I, I tried a, a couple of attempts that were, that were just knocking the rust off. And then I thought about it. I'm like, wait a minute. I've got a ton of stories from the ambulance. I can weave these into a fantasy story and kind of make that work. And that's that's kind of how that came about. So I've always written bits and pieces. And I'm kind of all over the map. I have um, a handful of other books out. I have a sequel to Out of Nowhere. I have a little uh, pulpy sword and sorcery thing. It's like, you know, kind of rogues in a, in a rundown city. It's a lot like a... Fritz Lieber, kind of Faffer the Gray Mouser feel to it. Uh, I wrote a uh, near-future science fiction space marine story. And that's how... Uh, and I've written a couple of historical... Like historical fantasy with the, the character from out of nowhere who's immortal. Back, I have a Napoleonic War story where he's on the retreat from Russia. I have... The historical ones are kind of short. They're not novels. They're like 50 pages, 100 pages... And I did a uh, French and Indian War one, and I've done a couple things with that. So I kind of, I'm always writing something, but I'm not, it's not all one series. I don't have the discipline to do, you know, a book a year in a series, which would probably be, again, that would make me money. So I decided to diversify. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, talking about that then, since we usually, I, I usually do ask that question about like where you're, you're planning on going with your writing and um, I usually do that after, but since we're already talking about it now, 
So you you say you have the the short stories and and you're going to probably continue writing in those. Um, it sounds like you're just all over the place though. You don't have any plans to to sit down and say, hey, I'm going to write six novels in the um, the Immortals series. Um, so you just kind of write what what gets your fancy then. I do, and it helps. I, it helps me to to mix it up a little bit. It keeps it fresh because usually when I'm working on something is when I'll get ideas for something else. So right now, the latest thing I'm doing, which is in the final edits, and it'll probably be out this, maybe this spring, if not this spring, this summer, is a a second. um, So Broken Crossroads was my sword and sorcery uh, book, which is a, it's a pair of rogues. It's it's witty banter and, and, you know, chases across rooftops and, and sword fights with, with criminals and robbing ancient temples. And it's all that kind of like, like an updated Conan kind of feel to it, or a, you know, Lieber and, and Edgar Rice Burroughs kind of feel to it. And I've just written the second book of those, and that's up for edit right now. I'm writing a second book in my Space Marine story, which is actually a prequel. And... I'm coming up with ideas, like I have notes for a third book in the uh, the Immortal series. So it kind of, I think I'm probably going to bounce between a couple series just to keep it fresh. So it's, it's, it sounds like it's something that keeps your uh, creative juices flowing by bouncing around. Um, but, you know, it's probably something that once you have a few more books out will help you in terms of... Uh, um, just the sheer uh, getting people to read you. It, it will hurt when this... Uh, in this uh, era of people being like, oh, I'm not going to read a book until the series is finished because a couple of people can't seem to finish their books. That, that's a thing. And that's one of the reasons that I try everything I do. It's at least self-contained. Um, I look at the series as more like it's less like a Game of Thrones where it's one story and it's more like, say, the um, Dresden Files or, you know, the, the Spencer detective stories where each each story has a has a a complete arc. It ends. You can grab book four and understand it. Uh, because yeah, there's and that that's a big thing in detective fiction. That's kind of how how that goes. But I I totally understand people. So I read Game of Thrones 10, 15 years ago, maybe the first book. Um, I read it long before it was a it was a, a TV property. And it's still not like the series is still not technically finished as far as the books. And I'm kind of stunned at that, you know, so I can see people with that feeling a little, little once bitten if they want to plunge into a, you know, a a series with five or six books, they're all like a thousand pages and then not, not get their ending. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I just, um, had a a fairly long, uh, post on, uh, Reddit about this that were, you know, for me, I, I just have decided that, uh, I'm going to accept the the TV series as the ending if I never get the the rest of it. And yeah. as a general rule, I think that uh, when I was younger, it bothered me a lot more. Um, I graduated from college actually just before the, the this last recession. So I actually uh, was going to be a teacher as well. I taught for one year in 2009. And uh, my salary that year, uh, because they had dropped it, was like $24,000. Uh, my student loan payments were to go about three quarters of my uh, my salary at that point. But but yeah, I read the the books back then too, and I would and I was uh, you know upset about um, books not being or series not being finished at that point. But I think now there's just so much out there that I'm yeah. just gonna read whatever uh, 
whatever happens to be available at the time, and, and I'll, I'll never finish my TBR list at this point, I don't think. So I'm just not going to worry about whether uh, <laughs> the series get finished, right? Uh, the, the writing is done. Yeah, and that, that's 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 the attitude I have, and I think that's a healthy attitude to have because as a writer, I read the same thread on Reddit probably, and as a writer, I don't see any of us, you know, locking ourselves in an attic and finishing six books before publishing them. I don't see that happening. Um, so you got to put something out there and hook people and, and build an interest for the second book and and maintain that interest for the third book. So I think it's an organic process. But again, life happens. I mean, people lose interest, people die. Um, things in your life change and maybe the series just isn't, you know, it, it may take on a new direction that you didn't expect. So I, I see it from both both sides of it. When I was in uh, college, Roger Zelazny, um, who was one of my favorite um, fantasy science fiction kind of writers, had been writing the uh, the Amber series, which again, that's been a that was a, like a very background influence on me because it's a group of immortal um, characters that kind of have an influence over. They can influence reality with their powers. Maybe they influence reality, or maybe they just move through different realities. It's kind of ambiguous. But he was writing a book like a book every year or two years, and he was ending all of them on cliffhangers, and I'm like, oh my god, if this guy gets sick, we're going to have to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because so, you get really invested, and then you'd have to wait like a couple years for the next book to come out, and then you'd, you'd, you'd devour it in a day, and then you'd wait for another two years. So I, I get that frustration. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I grew up uh, as Wheel of Time was being written, and okay, so, yeah. so yeah, so I had the the Robert Jordan who actually did die during this series. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that that was a lot of, you know, that was a lot of books and a lot of really big books to get to invest in and then not be able to get your your payoff. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, uh, Brandon Sanderson came out of uh, was able to to finish that off. But hey, you know what? We're uh, we're getting pretty close to thirty minutes in, and we still haven't even talked about uh, specifically about your book. So I think we probably better uh, get to that now. Um, I'm definitely enjoying our conversation, but I have found that if you get past somewhere around forty five to fifty minutes, I start getting comments from people that hey, this uh, this episode's going on a little too long. So uh, we have really talked a lot about the book without ever actually talking specifically about the book so far with with uh, all of your background stuff you've talked about with us with the the, the ems the fencing uh, your history your love of history uh can you talk about uh can give us the synopsis of out of nowhere yeah so the character the main character sean Denae, is he's an immortal or uh and he doesn't have access to his earliest memories he, and we find out why as the book goes on. But we start with him. He's working as a paramedic in a, a fictional town on the northern suburbs of Boston. And he, he has the ability to, the you know, supernatural ability to heal people with a touch. And it's not perfect. His ability isn't perfect. Um, it works better for some things than other things. And he's been able to do that for as far back as you can remember. And one of the things that drew him to working at EMS is, you know, back in the day, if you could do something like that, it looked supernatural. People are afraid of the supernatural. He's lived through times when there were witch burnings and, and that kind of thing where you wouldn't necessarily want to advertise that. But if you're an EMS, if you show up and somebody has been shot, 
you can kind of nudge them back to the healthy side of the fence. They get to the hospital, and, oh, it looks like that missed all your vital organs. All right, no big deal. You just need some antibiotics, <laughs> a couple stitches. So he could get away with using his abilities without, you know, <clears throat> painting a big target on his back. So that's kind of why he does that. The other thing about EMS is that the, the cast of characters is always changing. So with him being a being immortal, if he hangs around for 20 years, people are going to start doing the math that, that he doesn't look any older. Because there's tends to be a constant turnover in that in that job people are less likely to realize that and uh that was another reason why in his background he's he served in a lot of various militaries because they're always moving around new people are always coming and going and again that's a situation where if somebody gets hurt or wounded they're not going to question the fact that when their buddy dragged him back out of the line it the wound wasn't that bad versus you know the village healer that that miraculously cures somebody's cancer and you're either, you know, last guy to do that, they nailed him to a tree. You know, it's not, <laughs> not a lot of future in that kind of thing. So, so that's where he is. Um, and so he's going about his life. He's enjoying, you know, being able to have that freedom to, to do what he wants to do. And he heals somebody of a, of a, of a ankle injury. And the guy seems to notice something's off. And he doesn't think much of it. And then after that, somebody's definitely looking for him. Things start happening. People around him start getting attacked. He gets uh, ambushed. And he's trying to figure out what's going on with this. Who, you know, is it related to that that guy who he healed? So then it turns into a little bit of a detective thriller kind of thing where he's trying to figure out who's looking for him, why, and what's going on. And uh, that leads into him, he finds an inscription on a, somebody tries to attack him with a knife, there's an inscription on the knife, he, he, go, he finds somebody at one of the colleges who's, uh teaches a class in ancient languages, all right, maybe they know at least where this came from, and that introduces the character who's eventually going to wind up being a love interest, she's a, she's a professor of languages, she's teaching English lit at the local college, she looks into it, um, they kind of have some chemistry, so that turns into a relationship, <clears throat> and eventually, by her looking at this thing, she kind of gets pulled in to the whole um, thriller drama kind of thing. Yeah, that that is a uh, a very very good synopsis. Yeah, um, without actually giving anything, uh, any you know, giving any spoilers out. But I mean, I always say that you're the author, so you can go as far with the spoilers as you yeah. want when you're doing it. Even though I try not to with my own reviews, you can definitely see where your uh, uh, life influences um, are sprinkled throughout the the novel. But I get here's a question I have for you because this is something that um, I. So you don't have you've you've done a lot of writing, but you don't have you know maybe necessarily the creative writing like actual full background. But one Correct. thing, the first thing that I thought of when I started reading this story, um, getting, um, not just taking getting rid of the story itself, but just the writing, is that the dialogue is incredibly smooth. The uh, the write it's very well written. Do you think that that's something that just came naturally to you, or is that something that over the years? you have honed because I, I feel like it seems like sometimes some people just never have that natural dialogue 
and some people just seem to be able to do it effortlessly. Did it take you a lot of effort, or is it something you just always had? It's kind of something I always had, but it's something I, I even unconsciously work on. I find myself listening to conversations and listening to like word choice and and real. I I I love dialogue. I love conversations. I love books with with great dialogue. I love you know shows and movies with with great dialogue. I find you know funny witty people. I'm really attracted to them. So I'm kind of a dialogue junkie. So I'm always listening to it. I'm always, you know, get, getting the feel, getting the flavor of how people talk. And so I think that it's because, like, I didn't sit down and, and, and make a, a, an effort to write, um, specifically write dialogue. But I think it's because it's one of my great interests. And one of the things that kind of turns me on, makes me happy. I think I just, I just naturally want to do it. And I, and I do a lot of it. So, yeah, I, that's... That is one of my favorite things to write. I love writing banter. Um, I've told people, I'm like, I just hate when the plot gets in the way of my dialogue. <laughs> yeah, because I, uh, I mean, you know, the we'll talk later on about the uh, the the various controversy about it. But but one thing that I um, I just noticed right away was how smooth the dialogue was and just how natural it felt. And I, I think that that is something that um, I, I the reason I ask you that question is, is I really do feel like some people just I don't care how good of a how, how well they write a plot. They just don't write great dialogue. And I just felt like the dialogue was a was so smooth and natural with with your story. And I felt like it really was the the strength of the novel. Oh, thank you. It's like I said, that's that's the part I enjoy the most. So it's nice to hear that. Yeah. And so um, just some other thoughts on the book itself. Um, it's a quick read. Um, it is low magic. Uh, yeah. you have, especially for about 60% of the novel, I'd say. Um, do you think it's about that far or maybe even or, um, or before we even know anyone aside from Sean has abilities? Uh, it's probably about that far. because, And that's, that's enough, that was a challenge of doing it first person. And some other people brought that up. Um, and I, I read a lot of... T- detective fiction so i didn't think this was a problem but you the reader only knows what the main character knows so a lot of people are kind of looking around for the plot but and looking around for what what these other things are going to be but you don't get to see them until he does yeah that's uh, the that's the the problem with the with that first person and, and um instead of having the uh the omniscient uh, narrator Right, because if I could have bounced around to the villain, then people would have seen that there was more magic in the world. They would have had a better um, handle on the plot. But at that, it, it's it's a trade-off. Um, yeah. I like first person um, because I like the familiarity of it. I like how it puts you in that that point of view. But there's you can you know there's positives and negatives yeah. for everything. But I think that's one of the reasons that. And again, this was. It, this was being written in, and this is not a defense because I it was edited and it's the book I wanted it to be, but this was written in bits and pieces between uh, ambulance shifts and uh, diaper changings, and uh, and plot wasn't my strongest suit, so I think sometimes I would just get carried away. I'd enjoy, enjoy writing dialogue, and then I'd kind of have to um, wallpaper over some cracks in the plot but again i that that was that's the rough draft it was edited i'm not using that as an excuse i'm just saying the (laughs) plot kind of the plot was a little harder for me and that takes more of a backseat 
Well, here's the the way I look at it: is if the novel had been um, six or seven hundred pages long, and we made it that far, then it would have uh, it would have been an issue for me. But I actually sat down and read this book in one sitting, so it certainly didn't uh, um, hold me back. And and like I said, I, I was I enjoyed the story um, enough till you got to you know to where the action happened that. Um, that it didn't bother me. And one thing, uh, this, I don't, we're not, I don't want to like really get into details about it, but something that I did enjoy is you do at some point have a little bit of a, uh, um, government conspiracy, uh, thing that goes in there. But I like that you didn't take it down the road that so many people will take it when you do have these conspiracies that, uh, the government needs to be overthrown so we can have a libertarian capitalist society. <laughs> that's not, uh, being owned by the libs. And I, yeah. I have to say that I appreciate that it didn't go that way because when it, when that started, I was like, Oh no, are we about to get one of those <laughs> stories? But we didn't just wanted to say, well, no, I'm, I'm glad because I, I, I have the same opinion on those. I'm not. I'm. I like having having government. I like having a USDA. I like having an FDA. <laughs> I, you know, I, I like the. Uh, I like paved roads and fire departments. So you know, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say that that so often when you get, the, especially the uh, the indie novels that uh, that go that route. Oh yeah, there, there's there's a whole subgenre of that kind of that kind of thing. So I, I I can see where that you might have. That might have, you know, pricked your antennas up, kind of thing. But <laughs> yeah. So um, now that we we've talked about the book itself, and I really feel like even though we weren't specifically talking about the book, we've we've pretty well uh, peppered throughout the entire interview um, what to expect with the book. Let's talk about um, what your experience with the, the Spiffbo competition itself has been like. So in general, I think it's been. It's, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. In general, it's been really good. Um, it's definitely been good in terms of a little further reach, a little more popularity, a lot more sales. And I've met a lot of people that I, that I've met a lot of really great people. And um, I've managed to interact with a lot of people that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. So that has been tremendously positive. And up, up until... Uh, I hit the finals. It was a, it was a hundred percent positive experience. And getting just getting out of my my group through the semifinals and the finals, I was I was I was surprised. I was thrilled. I got a really good review from the person who read my book. Um, and even afterwards, my reviews since I've gotten to the finals have been largely critical, but in a way. Um, it managed to really help me grow as a writer. I looked at some things and, uh, I talked extensively with extensive. I want to throw a shout out to Esme, um, from the Weatherwax report because I got a kind of brutal review from them and I just touched base and I said, look, you know, see what you're saying. Sorry. I didn't enjoy it. I just want to say thanks for taking the time to review it. And it's a, you know, this is a no blood, no foul. I'm not upset. I'm not. But, you know, what what exactly made you think that? And she was more than happy to take the time to, we emailed back and forth. We had a really good dialogue. And she brought up some really good points. And I went back and I reread the book, which I hadn't read it cover to cover in years because this book's been out for six years. And I looked at some things and I'm like, yeah, all right, I can see you got a point. 
Um, and so I did. I did address those. I did do a revision of it. It's not a. It's not a deep revision. The story is still the story, but there were a couple. I sanded off some of the rough edges. And so that that, that it's been a growth experience. Uh, the first half was just all sunshine and bunnies and happy, and the second half is after school special. We all learned something today. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> my specific experience. Yeah, and and specifically, what, what I guess people have talked about is that that some people don't like the the dialogue. Which, uh, um, first off, you know, I have a brother who is a cop. Um, he was actually the youngest police chief in the state of Idaho since the 1880s. I'm going to tell you right now, oh. I have no idea how that happened. But okay. um, and I have a couple cousins as well that are cops, and th- I can tell you the the dialogue is authentic. I mean, there's yeah. no you, the, you can have issues about what's being said, but it definitely people that I you know direct experience people talk like like that they use some language that uh, a lot of people wouldn't appreciate necessarily and yeah. uh, so I, you know I guess I think that um, you know I specifically mentioned in my review that my that my only thing with it was is that maybe the the main character could have um, you know intervened a little bit in it but I don't think that uh, you know the people who are upset about it saying that that the uh, that we don't need that kind of language that uh, that's not correct. I think yeah. that you know some sometimes I've told my brother and my dad who's also you know very conservative who will use language around me and my kids that I don't necessarily like that you know not to use it around me. But in terms of people that that are saying that that should language shouldn't be in there at all, I think that would just be disingenuous. Yeah, that was that was my only um thing that bothered me at all. I didn't mind. I don't mind. People, this, you know, bad reviews, bad reviews happen, and I'm okay with that. And then later on, when I went back and I looked at stuff, I understand how some of this language made people uncomfortable, and I understand that it that it's a question of framing. I, I get that. Okay, you know, maybe if you hang a lampshade on it, maybe if you if you if you if you call it out, you point it out, maybe that that kind of softens the experience a little bit, and that's fine. The dialogue, it we. It was not written for shock value. It was written because that's the way people talk. Um, somebody was really upset because they said it, it hurt that they had tremendous respect for um, you know medics and doctors and nurses, and they can't believe that people talk like that. I got bad news for you, okay? <laughs> they talk like that. Um, well, it's a coping mechanism for the trauma that you see on a regular basis. <clears throat> yeah, I think I think that it's it's all there, and there's but. This comes down to a whole um, – a, a book really is it's, – it's really a conversation. I mean you, I, you, we write it in isolation, but then you read it. So you bring your experiences to the reading, and you're going to hear what you're going to hear even if I didn't write exactly that. So I, that's one of the reasons I did the revision. I don't want to artificially limit my audience. I don't want to make people so uncomfortable with it that it's a bad experience for them. I now I'm like I said, the the authenticity of the language is, was the whole original reason for it. But again, from talking to a couple people, there there are ways to frame it better. And you kind of you kind of hit the nail on the head if you put the main character as aware of it, a little bit above it, and maybe. You know, call people on it a little bit better. That could have that could have worked a little better. Uh, so yeah, it was. And I'm I'm gonna come right out and say 
that this reaction surprised me. The book has been out for six years. I had 40-odd Amazon reviews that nobody had brought any of that up. I had like 80 or so Goodreads uh, ratings and like 30 or 40 text reviews, and nobody had brought that up. So it was like all of a sudden, it kind of hit me out of the blue. I really didn't expect it didn't see it and I'm like I didn't mean to write that you know it wasn't I wasn't trying to write you know Archie Bunker and Andrew Dice Clay have a have a buddy comedy that wasn't where I was going with this so it was a surprise as much as anything else and like I said the only thing that actually bothered me was was one of the reviews that said I don't see why this this kind of language needs to be in there at all I'm like well, it needs to be in there because that's that's the world that we live in and that's that's what I'm writing. If I was going to write soldiers, they're going to talk like soldiers. If I'm going to write cops, they're going to talk like cops. Yeah. And, you know, and, and like I said, with, with the review that I actually wrote is that, that, you know, I, I enjoyed it. And, um, but I, I do have some people that I, um, that I know that I wouldn't probably recommend, um, that, that, that I know would be offended by it. And I don't, and I'm not taking anything away from them being offended by it, you know? So I think that, um, uh, that, like I said, just it was just as for me that if the main character had stood up for it a little bit more, and that's just and but that's a personal thing, you know, on my end. But it still, I still felt like it was a very well written book. It was authentic, and I understood why you wrote it the way that you wrote it. Yeah, no, and I I, I appreciate that, I, and I'm I'm very thankful that you enjoyed it. And like I said, your criticism right there, it very closely married a couple of the people who talked to me about it. And I think you guys overall are right as far as I'm right and wrong are nebulous terms when you're talking about fiction, because people enjoy what they enjoy. Yep. Um, but I think that that better conveys my intent. If we put the main character, because all right, one of the things that was brought up, uh, they, they, in the book, it's pretty clearly. All right. Yes, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of objectifying language, but I went out of my way to make every female character competent at their job. There are no damsels in distress. There are people who get hurt and rescued, but there's also guys that get hurt and rescued. One of the side characters that Sean has to rescue is probably the most formidable physical character in the book. Um, but he gets in trouble and he has to be saved. So, and uh, the, as far as and racial stuff, the, it's a, it's a multiracial crew and they rag on each other about race because that's how they, that's how we talk to one another. Um, but <clears throat> every, every character of color is competent at their job. Um, the, the worst racist rant is called out as a racist rant and that's by a, a, a really obviously terrible side character. So I thought I was going in that direction. I thought I was on the side of the angels and that's where I want to be. And if that's not coming across, then yeah, it is on me to, to um, make some adjustments to make that more obvious as, as where I stand, where I want the main character to stand. Um, he compares the, the other group of uh, gifted people and the, how they seem to not, care who they hurt he compares that to racism he compares that to <clears throat> you know 
well, you know, they're, they're immortals, but they're peddling drugs and they're using this influence. And I'm like, this is the opium wars all over again. It's okay to push drugs on people as long as they look different, right? That's how history's gone. I mean, it's so we're, I'm, I was trying to call out that institutionalized racism. Uh, and I, but if people don't get it, that's that's me not communicating effectively as much as it is them bringing their own preconceived notions to the table. Yeah, well, and you know, it's uh, I guess it's just one of those things that some people um, are going to like and some people aren't. And um, you know, I don't think that there's anything more that you can do but just say that you um, you know that, that that wasn't your intention. And like you said, you've made a few edits here and there. And um, like I, you know, I enjoyed the book. And but I also did see where people, uh, you know, could have issues. But also, you know, on my end, I am a, you know, an upper middle class white male. So I maybe because I'm not a minority, then I didn't, uh, you know, I don't have that um, that background that can, uh, you know, that would be offended by those kind of things. Maybe I don't know if that has anything to do with it. And I, I'm sure to an extent it does. I mean, you, we all have our own um, experiences that we view the world through. And I'm an old-ish, straight, white, male, middle class. You know, that, that's, my, that's my demographic. That's the world in which I walk. So I'm less likely to understand uh, somebody from a different um, group, a different, you know, socioeconomic group, mm-hmm. different racial group. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a little different. The other thing is, and this is not... It, it is, this is, all right, I'm just going to say it and then I'm going to have to explain it. Somebody said that there's all the times they are changing and that's true, uh, but it's a, I think it's a good thing. This book was published six years ago. A price started being written eight to 10 years ago. Eight to 10 years has seen a lot of change in awareness and sensitivity about language and about certain things. Uh, and that, I think that's overall a good thing. I'm not ranting about PC police. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what would have been shocking, what is shocking now would not have been shocking 10 years ago. Um, and it was more so, you know, 20 years ago, more so 30 years ago. I remember things that were said in my house, not out of anger, but just like commonly said that would horrify me. <laughs> If I saw it, if I saw it in dialogue today, or if I heard somebody say it today, so there has been a lot of change. And yeah, six years ago wasn't fifty years ago, but it was a little while ago. And 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 the the needle of what's acceptable conversation has moved. And I think overall that's a good thing. So I'm not really complaining, but I think that this is. I mean, it. This is not the kind of perspective that I'd say if you're reading Huckleberry Finn. You got to realize he wrote it 150 years ago, but it's like a, a fraction of that kind of thing mm-hmm. that's i think that's a uh, a good way to um to describe it and maybe um some of the controversy of it but you know i just want to first like thank you for being you know, so willing to talk about it i know this was something you mentioned that you wanted to do i think that it, there because of the way the internet can work sometimes you've made these comments and i feel like people have just jumped on you in an unfair way and I also feel like a few people who have defended you have defended you by saying, "Oh, it's the PC police that I haven't that I haven't agreed with either." But I really do feel like that um, that being able to hear it spoken and to talk about it has. I, I think that this has been a good conversation and a good um, 
has been helpful in um at least for me and and just hearing you say it in a way that that makes it definitely sound uh more positive well thank you yeah and that's that's kind of how i feel i'd rather i'd rather have this out in the open and i did so i want to i kind of argue against myself in one of the one of the threads because it was i was being defended by people who were yeah i didn't like the defense of me and i'm like wait a minute if i'm that guy if this guy's defending me maybe i'm wrong <laughs> the crap you know it's like holy crap alan dershowitz wants to defend me i must be guilty it's it's that kind of feel um so I did. I didn't want to go down the PC road. I never felt that. I um because I largely support that philosophy in my day to day life. So I didn't want to be put in the enemy camp. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that your uh, your comments with that um, on the specific thread you're talking about. And so yeah, and I, and you know, and like I said, everything that I have seen so far, um, I really do believe you weren't trying to you know to be to be uh, controversial or to be, uh, um, you know, you weren't trying to do anything. Um, yeah. Some people just, you know, it just happened the way it happened. So um, just going forward, what what do you think, uh, um, you've already talked about what you're going to do with your writing, um, just that you're going to be all over the place, but what is your, uh, what are specifically some things that are coming out in the near future? So the next thing that should be coming out is uh, Robbing Death, which is a sequel to Broken Crossroads, which is a, it, there's a platonic male and female team of swashbuckling rogues. And it's, it's again, it's a lot of uh, witty banter, snappy dialogue, <clears throat> um, but it's in, the, in the, the, the spirit of the old pulps. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, like robbing ancient uh, temples of treasure and and chases along rooftops and sword fights in dark alleys and it's that kind of just you know pulpy fun swashbuckling stuff and that uh the first one is, is out and is available on amazon right now the second one is in the editing process i think it's the final edit unless somebody finds something egregious with it that i have to fix so i'd expect that's going to be out in a couple months and uh, like I said, I do still have the, I have the sequel to Out of Nowhere, um, which is Spitting Image, and that's it's follows our our hero uh, through another set of adventures. It's written a little bit later. I'd hone my craft a little bit, so I think it's a little bit smoother. Uh, and then there's In Every Climate Place, which is the near future um, space marines on patrol in the asteroid belt. So that's that's a pretty straight military sci-fi, you know, nods to Starship Troopers kind of thing. So it's a, there's a lot of things out there, but the the next thing coming out is going to be Robbing Death. Awesome. Hey, and then um, as we wrap this up, where um, can you be reached? Do you want to uh, all of your social media and things like that? And let's have them in one spot. Yeah, the the best single place is my uh, writer's website, which is uh, inkandbourbon.com. And that's that's got my blog on it. It's uh, got links to my my Facebook and uh, Twitter and so forth. I am on Twitter at uh, Patrick Leclerc seventeen, 
and that's only because the 16 people before me tried to take the same one. And uh, I'm on um, Facebook as Patrick Clark. Um, there's an Ink and Bourbon separate Facebook page, but that's usually just cross-posted stuff. Okay. Uh, but there, there you have it. Awesome. Well, hey, Patrick, thank you so much for coming on. I had a, a great time talking with you today. Um, and uh, is there anything else just before we uh, wrap it up that, that you uh, wanted to talk about? or? Um, no, overall, like I said, I, I do want to um, just throw a shout out to everybody about this, this contest. I also want to mention, um, in particular, Zach Pike, who is one of the finalists. He wrote Orconomics. He's been instrumental in um, talking to all the finalists, and we, we just put out a like a joint open letter about you know how how good this experience has been in general, how much this this matters for independent authors, and uh, we're going to be highlighting all of the finalists are going to be highlighting a couple of the books that didn't make it to the finals that we personally liked. So he's been instrumental in trying to make this a community and kind of lift lift everybody a little bit. Um, and he seems to, he seems like a great guy. Uh, and again, he's one of the people that I'm happy I met. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have met you. This has been a good experience. I'm very happy to have met Esme. Um, and it was another whole drama thing, but I think that, that she kind of caught more flack than she deserved. And I think she really needs a shout out as somebody who's trying to make this a better place and did a lot for the community so yeah, there's been a lot of really good stuff, and I think that that we should kind of stand back and appreciate the the positive that this kind of contest can bring out, rather than people getting hung up in 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 some of the drama. And it's I, I would just like to see you know we all want to read, we all want to be read. And I think this is this is definitely a question of something that, that moves can move us all forward if we if we take it with the right attitude. So yeah, the, like I said, overall very positive, and I I would definitely hope to see this continue for years to come. Yeah, that's that would be great. Uh, thank you once again for coming on, and I hope you have a uh, great rest of your day. Yeah, thanks. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.